0: Welcome back to the Paris Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today is my great pleasure to introduce to you Raquel Teixeira. Raquel is a sports nutritionist at the Porto Football Club in Portugal, which is one of the biggest clubs. It's not just for football. It's for a lot of other sports and she will explain that to us in a second. So welcome to the podcast, Raquel.
1: Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for
0: the invitation. Uh, I'm excited to have a chat with you because we're going to actually talk about specifically athletes with intellectual impairments, which we haven't done a lot about in this podcast. So I think that's a really nice topic to talk about. But why don't you start us off with telling us about your background and how you got into being a sports nutritionist?
1: Okay, so Liz, first of all, I have to say sorry because I'm not doing, I'm doing this in English, which is not my native language, so I'm trying mm. to do my best, okay, so sorry yep. for that. Oh, um, don't apologize, I st- it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. So I studied nutritional sciences at Porto University and did my master's degree in food safety at Coimbra University. I always wanted to be a nutritionist since Mm -hmm. I was very young age, but I never thought to be a sports nutritionist. But I played basketball for 13 years, so I have always been linked to sport. I then discovered that it would be good for me to work in sports nutrition. And I did my first traineeship in the High Performance Center of Lisbon where mm-hmm. I the first contact with a lot of professional and elite athletes of different sports. Yep. And then I had to, to choose between Lisbon or staying in Porto with the opportunity to do my traineeship with Paris sports, because I mm-hmm. wanted to do something different. So after finishing the degree, I returned to Porto, where I did my professional traineeship, mainly with young football players at Dragon Force, which is a project of... Porto Football Club for Youngsters. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. after that, I was offered a position at Porto Football Club as a nutritionist. And it was there that I started to follow different teams of sports and also the um, female volleyball team and B teams of male basketball and ball and roller hockey. And two years ago, I left the last three teams and started to work with a swimming team. Mm -hmm. So it has been four years now since I first began working with para-athletes. Initially, I never thought I would work with para-athletes. But after a while, I've decided that this is what I want to be doing.
0: Fantastic. And that's why we've invited you onto the podcast. We love people who have a passion for para-athletes. So tell us which sports of the para-athletes you're covering at the moment.
1: Okay. I currently work with para-athletes of goalball, ball, para-swimming, para-table tennis, basketball, and futsal. In total, wow. we have about eighty, yeah, 80 disabled athletes in the club with different impairments, physical, visual, and intellectual impairments.
0: Wow, that's a lot of athletes to have on your books. Do you do a lot of individual work with them or is it some of it group sessions or how do you actually mm-hmm. cover that many athletes?
1: Mostly individual, just basketball and futsal, it's a group intervention uh, yep. because they have mainly intellectual impairments and it's mm-hmm. more difficult to work with athletes and because they don't have a competitive component, so strong as other yep. sports, because we have several athletes representing the national teams in all the para-sports mm-hmm. and including two Paralympic athletes of Boche, Portuguese mm-hmm. Paralympic athletes that I follow here in the club, um, yep. but all the athletes of basketball and futsal have intellectual impairments and also some athletes of para-swimming and para-table tennis.
0: Okay. So why don't you talk a little bit more about the athletes with intellectual impairments? I guess you said there they're a little bit more difficult to work with. Can you tell us some of the range of things that make it a little bit more difficult?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because athletes with an intellectual impairment have a restriction in intellectual functioning and adaptive behavior that affects Mm -hmm. conceptual, social and practical adaptive skills required for um, everyday life. As uh, World Health Organization explained, they have a significantly reduced ability to understand new or complex information and to learn and apply new skills. And this results in a reduced ability to cope independently and begins before adulthood um, Mm -hmm. with a lasting effect on development. So when it comes to intellectual impairment, it's difficult to work because of this type of characteristics. Uh, yep. It's difficult to, to know what they understand, what they don't mm-hmm. understand. And we have to be more creative and pay more attention to the way we talk, mm-hmm. what we say, the way we say. Yeah, because, so it's more difficult because of these difficulties.
0: Yep. And so the ages of the athlete, what age group do they tend to be that you're working with?
1: Mm-hmm. I would say between 16 until 50.
0: Yeah, wow, so it's yeah, quite a big 50. range, isn't it?
1: And yeah. Yeah. at
0: the Porto Football Club, do they stay on site or are these athletes who still live at home
1: or potentially
0: in houses with other people?
1: Uh, normally they they live with the, their families mm-hmm. yeah okay All the athletes and so that i follow yeah.
0: do you have interactions with their families
1: yes the ma- mm-hmm. with the majority of the the families but for example the athletes with 50 55 years old i don't have contact yep. which is uh, difficult because i think okay i'm talking with a person with 50 years, but I don't know if they are understanding what I'm saying. And when they are alone, they don't know, or they don't know what what to buy, what to heat, how to Mm heat. So normally these people with 40 or 50 years old, they are independent. With nutrition, or when we are in our uh, nutrition appointments, but they are not independent in their yeah, lives. In their lives. And so, yeah.
0: do you think that their nutritional demands for their sport are any different to any other athlete? Do you think it's the same? You're trying to get the same messages across that you would for any athlete who's in futsal or in basketball, it's just how you go about that education that's different? Or do you think that there's some people with intellectual impairments who also have different fueling needs, energy needs,
1: those sorts of things? Yeah, I think they have different energy needs. When it comes to different sports, I think that they are very different because I know that for example, per swimming athletes, they have practice all days of the week, except mm-hmm. one. Okay, yep. And for example, my athletes of basketball and futsal, they just have one practice a week. All oh, um, right. So I have to be that in mind uh, yep. and their nutritional needs and energy needs are quite different. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if in the other contexts or other clubs, there is this difference between volume of uh, practices, but here in in the club, I know that this difference exists, so I have to manage that. Uh, I have para-athletes with physical and intellectual impairments in the swimming mm-hmm. team, but these athletes they all practice the same time yeah. uh, with different capacities, but they have practice all days. Um, about two hours a day and mm-hmm. a swimming practice and gym practice. So they have a higher energy expenditure than, mm-hmm. for example, uh, boche athletes.
0: Yep. Yep. And do you find that the swimmers, because they're interacting with other para athletes, so they can, they've got other people that they can potentially copy from or observe and maybe they get a little bit of influence on their nutrition practices because they're around an environment with other athletes as opposed to say your futsal players. All of their co-athletes in their team are also have an intellectual impairment? Do you find that there's any difference because they can see what some of the other athletes are eating, that perhaps they copy that and therefore their nutrition practices are different and more aligned with some of their actual needs? So the education process isn't just coming from you, it's actually coming from the influence of what they see from their fellow athletes?
1: Yeah. I think it, it is a question to consider when we mm-hmm. have intellectual impairments or other physical impairments, because athletes with um, intellectual impairments, they have different needs. And for example, most of the intellectual impairments, they are female athletes and mm-hmm. they eat a little bit less than the other athletes, male athletes Mm -hmm. or male male athletes with physical impairments. And I um, had an experience uh, with that because the athletes with intellectual impairment, uh, normally they don't understand why they are eating a little bit less because Mm -hmm. sometimes when I have to plan what they're gonna eat before or after the competition. I choose different um, amounts of food for each mm-hmm. athlete because they have different energy expenditure and um, nutritional needs. And some athletes start to, to look to the the plate of the colleague of the other mm-hmm. athlete and they have some difficulties to understand. And then they're gonna talk with me and question why is different for them, yep. and I have yep. to to explain.
0: Do you, Do they sometimes get a bit cranky with you? They think that you're you're being a bit mean.
1: Yeah, yeah, but we have to control yeah. um, the weight of these athletes because normally they have a higher weight or higher BMI, so we have to control that. Yeah,
0: and so how do you think is it's best to educate? From a nutrition perspective, these athletes, like what are some of the the creative things that you've done that you feel can be beneficial when educating athletes with an intellectual impairment?
1: Now, normally, I, from my experience, I know that uh, the challenges are a good uh, strategy. Sometimes we do challenges for them to practice. At home with the families, like mm-hmm. uh, three simple uh, challenges like eat three pieces of fruit every day and send us some photos of your uh, meals, your snacks, or include some veggies or soup every day, or eat mm-hmm. all grain cereals and send photos to us or do a record the ways uh, more simple to you and show us and normally they they need the help of uh, the families and they they send to us the photos and they normally they like this type of activities because they feel like they are doing something important um, mm-hmm. and normally they don't have any other activity during the day or some of them have worked some hours of the day, but mostly they, or they are at home with the families. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to care or to pay attention to the food when they are at home or when we are not with them. And I think that these practical and simple challenges goes very well with these athletes for my experience Mm -hmm. because when we are talking with all the team some athletes have uh, physical and other intellectual impairments we know that the message is not the same for everyone so the last sessions uh, group sessions that we had we separate the um, physical and intellectual impairments because we have to uh, simplifying the communication, the images, mm-hmm. the messages. So I think it's best to separate the type of impairments, physical mm-hmm. or, or other impairments with intellectual impairments.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and normally
1: we ask for families to be with the athletes yeah. because they can't stay with the messages. So yeah. we need the families to understand what we want them to yeah. say. Or to, and to, to,
0: to reinforce. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. It's important. Yep. Yep. And the intellectual impairment cause that you have, do you have some athletes with Down syndrome or with? Yeah. Down uh,
1: syndrome. And autism, autism yeah, mm-hmm. spectrum disorders. These two are the main intellectual impairments. And so
0: do you find that with autism that you sometimes find some other characteristics like some degree of obsessive compulsive behavior, or perhaps some some aversions to certain textures or some some ideas like I, I know I've had some athletes in the past who, for example, will only eat brown colored foods and and that's part of their intellectual impairment. They get very anxious if they're eating something that's not in that color or not in that type of food do you have athletes with those types of behaviors as well
1: yes yes specifically one athlete that he doesn't uh, eat one type of meat texture
0: mm-hmm.
1: when he are with the family but we discovered that when he are with a team it's that type of meat texture ah. so yeah so it was we were surprised with that yep. but it happened so yeah truly we don't know what is going to to happen but mm-hmm. we are prepared for the two behaviors because yep. one day probably he will be able to eat and one another day, one day he, he not, may not yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. That, that one aspect spe- that can be challenging with autism spectrum is that they have a repetitive behavior uh, mm-hmm. relating to, to food and, and feeding. And some individuals may have a restricted range of, of food choices. I have heard one an athlete that just eats orange food. That's what mm-hmm. you said. So yep. every food has to be orange. But I don't, I just have this athlete with this particular behavior Um, and we have to pay attention because if they don't like a specific food, for example, cheese, if I plan bread with cheese, probably they will not eat, Mm -hmm. not even the cheese and the bread. So I have to know very well their preferences because it can be a problem if they don't eat nothing if there's
0: yeah if there's nothing there that they will eat have you found that you can gradually challenge that paradigm like have you found any ways or tricks that you can kind of expand the variety of foods that athletes with a more restrictive framework will eat and if so
1: how have you managed to do that I think there is no particular strategy. Normally, I use the communication and I try to use some examples of the colleagues. Mm -hmm. Uh, Normally, their references. I have athletes uh, with intellectual impairments that look to the the colleagues, to the examples. And Mm -hmm. normally, if they say, ah, that athlete did or do this or that and normally i try to to use the same example and mm. sometimes i say oh do you do you see that your colleague that i eating this and this or mm-hmm. he doesn't eat it this or that so you have to do the same thing because uh-huh. you need to be stronger and faster yep. and you you want to be the national championship so mm-hmm. you have to do this and Believe in me, it would be uh, good for you. And yep. you have to trust your parents or your mm-hmm. family because they know what is best for you. And mm-hmm. the family are always with me and yep. we are communicating at the yep. same time. And the message goes to the athlete and to the family. But the more important is to discover what function well or goes well with this uh, or that athlete and Mm -hmm. work with it and always be uh, in communication with the families.
0: Yeah, yeah. So everything's very individualised because you've got to work out what trick works the best in terms of trying to get them to change and is it a comparison, is it a challenge, is it a like there's usually something that will help create the capacity for them to add in a different food or to change the way they eat you've just got to work out how to switch that trigger on in their brain that they will actually accept that change
1: yeah yeah normally athletes are encouraged to answer all questions
0: uh, mm-hmm. They are
1: they are able to do, but they are always confirmed by the the family members. I normally yep. do some questions like, do you make your own food choices or who prepares your meals, who, who usually cooks for you, and it's all. But I know that it's the family. Yeah. But I always talk to the athletes and I wait for their answers. And mm-hmm. then I have to confirm with the with the family because normally I see the lack of autonomy um, in these individuals with intellectual disabilities that have to choice and to prepare their food intake. So uh, family members play a major role in their dietary intake.
0: Yeah. So what recommendations do you have to say coaches of these athletes in terms of the role that a nutritionist can play and the importance of actually having someone who can do that individual work with the athletes. Do you feel as though the coaches understood that before you started working with them and perhaps have changed their approach because of the work that you've done?
1: Yes. Uh, Fortunately, my experience with the coaches and all the staff it's very good and Mm all the coaches understand the importance of nutrition and the importance of nutrition in each type of impairment but i feel uh, from my experience that the relation me and coaches and athletes and families it goes very well and the coaches mm-hmm. understand exactly what are the difference between energy expenditure and uh, the type of restrictions and food preferences between uh, intellectual and physical or visual impairment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and normally the coaches are very aware of the differences. And they tell me, uh, Raquel, be careful because that athlete, which, which is an intellectual impairment He doesn't eat cheese if you put cheese on the bread they, mm-hmm. uh, they or he will not eat so try to do something different or mm-hmm. sometimes i say try to do something different when we are with that athlete and all the team okay so yeah we have and we we are surprised together with some some things that is going to oh, that, that happens, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> And yep. uh, normally, yeah, when I'm not with them, and um, the coaches said to me, Oh, that athlete he hates that type of meat. You okay, <laughs> I <didn't> okay. Imagine. <laughs> and, and, and all the and in that case, the their parents uh, were also surprised, <laughs> yeah. Okay, but that happens, it was your son <laughs> that was eating that type of meat. <laughs> yeah but it's the relation it's very good we have a complete team working with athletes
0: yeah do you think that that's important because you know my experience in working with athletes with intellectual impairments is it's very hard to get an honest not an honest I'm not meaning that they're not honest but a an actual true reflection of what they're eating because they can't express that in terms of the way that gives us a really good idea quantitatively for example of how much they're eating and and sometimes they're not with their family all the time and i think coaches can play a really important role because they're observers you know coaches are very good at observing things and so you find sometimes that the coach can say if you're working with an athlete to try and say change their body weight or their body composition maybe put on a bit of weight or lose a little bit of weight do you find that the coach's observation of what they do for example oh I know that he kind of sneaks into the dining hall to or in the food court and gets an extra snack during the afternoon because I've seen him do that a couple of times or you know do you find that that the role of the coach in observing and then reporting that back to you is important with athletes with intellectual impairments?
1: Yes, yes, very important. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes, for example, I plan some fruit to eat and the coaches say to me, oh, not that fruit because there's two athletes with Down syndrome they take a lot to eat that fruit <laughs> and we don't have time because yep. other athletes are waiting. Okay, so for that athletes I have to change the fruit. Or sometimes <laughs> when yeah, when we are, they are yep. changing between swimming and gym, it was not supposed to eat, or sometimes it is supposed to eat something quick, and yep. some athletes eat and other athletes don't eat and the coaches say to me okay Raquel you have to when you you have the next nutritional appointment you have to talk about it because it was not supposed to eat or it was supposed to eat and this athlete didn't do what it was supposed Mm. so you have to to talk about it yeah because the coaches are more almost always with the athletes in the practices or competitions or travels and they talk to me for example when they go to to another place and they have to to stay at the hotel it's easy to Mm. when they are at the breakfast hotel breakfast they want to eat everything Mm. but the coaches they have access to the food plans and they know what are supposed for each athlete to eat on the breakfast. So yeah. they say, you can't eat that because it's not on your food plan, so you have to be yeah. careful. And if the athlete wants to eat or doesn't want to eat, they say to me, okay, Raquel, it was not very good because this athlete didn't eat what it was supposed to Mm-hmm. And we talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, it can be difficult because, I mean, the degree of monitoring, that's almost an extra person's job when they're travelling, isn't it? And it's tough because in an ideal world you want the athletes to make those decisions themselves, but with athletes with intellectual impairments, they they can't often make those decisions. They don't have that understanding and, and innate Sense of how much they need to have and they don't have a good capacity to to read a document and say, okay, this is what that document says and this is what it looks like on paper, that translating that information into an actual real-world environment is something that they can't do. Do your teams travel with extra support staff to help with that?
1: No, I think no. With intellectual impairments, um, Mm -hmm. they don't have other members um, yep. Just with Boche, uh, the families yep. or the caregivers yep. travels uh, mm-hmm. with the athletes, but in the other contexts or teams, just coaches and physiotherapists and mm. team manager. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so they all, all have to take on some of that responsibility.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, normally, what about- yes.
0: Yeah. What about any recommendations that you have for other sports nutrition practitioners or even sports psychology or any other practitioners who are working with athletes with intellectual impairments? What recommendations do you have to them? Okay, it's difficult because
1: <laughs> we are always learning how to to work with these athletes mm-hmm. and it's very common for me to receive some recommendations from my colleagues. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I I can do these recommendations as well. But for me, it's important to everyone that works with these athletes with intellectual impairments to understand really well what works better with that athlete, Mm -hmm. what type of communication, sometimes we have to use just words or images or Mm -hmm. tables or we have to show some videos we have to adapt our communication or the way you communicate and we have to understand the way the athlete understands us okay because it's not easy for example we have three athletes with autism spectrum disorder in Paris swimming mm-hmm. team and they are all different and mm-hmm. um, one athlete when you do some question the first answer is always no okay yeah. are you are you fine how was the training how do you feel good no yeah. and then it stops two seconds yes Yes. And we have uh, the athlete that responds with a double word like, okay, how are you? Are you fine? Yes, yes. No, no. So (laughs) we have to understand the way they communicate and we have to take time to take their Hmm. times to communicate. So I think it's the more important when we work with athletes with intellectual impairment, it's to understand how their brain works yep. Okay? Yep. and how they they feel better to communicate the time we mm-hmm. have to wait for the right answer or the type of communication we have to use. So mm-hmm. I think for me, for psychologists, for the physiotherapists, the coaches, it's to understand each athlete and how we can communicate better for them to mm-hmm. understand what we want them to, to know.
0: And does that understanding come partly from talking with their family, but also partly from just simply spending time with them?
1: Yes, yes. Family are very important for mm-hmm. to help us to understand because normally they know very well the the people they they live, okay, or yep. the, the main characteristics of that person. Um, yep. and it's very important for me to Talk first with the family and then with the athlete. When mm. when is the first contact with an athlete? Uh, it's better for me to understand before with the family what uh, is going to to happen or how is mm. the best form to communicate the best way to communicate with the athlete. And then when I'm with the athlete, I have to pay attention. And it's not easy to understand everything in the first contact, but. Mm. When the time is gone, you understand the athlete, but it's not easy on the first contact. We have to yeah. pay attention all the times we are with the athletes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and be patient as you'll gradually grow that understanding of how to connect with them over time. It's not something that will happen quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah, you have to be patient, and most of the times you have to explain one two, three, four times. And Mm -hmm. I think in the third time you will have what you want. Okay, Uh but it's good. It's good. I remember an example of an athlete that I want to drink water Mm -hmm. after practice. And we say, you have to drink two cups of water. Okay. And then his mother uh, said to us that, for him, two cups of water, it's one cup, and he had to to have another cup, not the same cup. Oh.
0: Yeah, okay, no problem. <laughs> <Sorry>.
1: No problem.
0: <laughs>
1: two cups of water, no problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, but
1: for that athlete with the autism spectrum, it was that. Okay, two two cups, two different cups of water. Okay, two cups. no problem. <laughs> yeah, different content. Not the uh, same Okay, the no same problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we have to insist it, it's to explain very simple and we yeah. have to be creative and patient. Mm-hmm. But after a while, we believe that it's going to be okay as we want.
0: Yep. Awesome. Fantastic. You, you do a great job. So well done to you, Raquel. It, it's definitely a challenging group of athletes to work with what do you find that you've learned the most about yourself in that
1: process okay uh, be patient <laughs> and was that was um, that one of
0: your virtues initially
1: yes yes uh-huh. I want everything quickly and <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah and I have to be patient and for for lose one kilo sometimes I have to wait two three four months okay but mm. It will it will happen so and I have to be patient to explain to the athletes what I want them to do. Okay, but mm-hmm. after a while it's going to be what we want, what we plan. Yeah. But I learned to be patient and creative as well, mm-hmm. because I I have to think in some strategies that in a normal situation it was not necessary. Mm. Uh, just one one time, say say that thing one time and it will be enough. And now yeah. with this athletes no. So I have to be <laughs> creative and and say different things and discover what is going to result with that athlete. Yeah. So I think these were the, um, the two characteristics that I had to to learn and improve in my yeah. in my life and in my working uh, practice.
0: <laughs> well well done to you sounds like you're doing a brilliant job thank you so much for your time Raquel I I really appreciate your openness and you know you were the one that put forward this this topic so I was absolutely delighted that you were willing to to talk about it so um well done to you you don't get away without telling us though what your favorite food is
1: yeah <laughs> i <laughs> As I regularly follow your podcast and all the episodes are very interesting. Congratulations for your work. I was expecting that that question. But for me, it's difficult because I truly love to eat. And so, so it's a difficult question. But fortunately, we have a lot of tasty food in Portugal.
0: Mm. So
1: I think I can mention two traditional foods that we have, and I truly love, mm-hmm. which is um, suckling pig by other style. Okay. All right. <laughs> and also giblets Portuguese style, which include rice and cooked blood.
0: Oh, and I wow. love!
1: I love. <laughs>
0: it's
1: okay. Really good. Yeah. So you're you have a to sav- try.
0: you're a savoury liker, are you? You more, like more savoury food
1: than sweet? Uh, yes, and yep. uh, I also love sweets. I also love <laughs> ice cream and chocolate, so it's really <laughs> difficult for me. But if if I have to say two things, or yep. I can say more, but I'm going to just to say two, okay?
0: Well, I'll have to come to Portugal sometime and you can show me the delights of your favourite Of course. Foods. <laughs>
1: of course you are more than welcome
0: well thank you so I have much so
1: so many foods to to show to you oh uh, uh,
0: well, i haven't been to portugal yet so it's on my list <laughs> okay
1: very well
0: yep. well thank you so much Raquel. i really appreciate your time your energy and your willingness to to share your story and your experience with us it's been fantastic being able to talk to you and we wish you all the best thank you liz I think Raquel's message about being really patient with athletes who have an intellectual impairment in that you can get the information that you want to get across, but you may need to say it a number of different times and you may need to get the support of a number of other people, including the family, the coaches and other people who are interacting with that athlete. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any feedback, please leave it on our website. And if you have any suggestions on people you'd like to hear from, we'd also love to know. Please join us next time when we talk to Trinity Lothian, who is a Canadian wheelchair fencer.